This is Victoria of TheUnleashedHeart.com, and you're listening to Grieving Voices, a podcast for hurting hearts who desire to be heard, or anyone who wants to learn how to better support loved ones experiencing loss. As a 30-plus year griever and advanced grief recovery method specialist, I know how badly the conversation around grief needs to change. Through this podcast, I aim to educate grievers and non-grievers alike, spread hope, and inspire compassion toward those hurting. Lastly, by providing my heart with ears and this platform, grievers have the opportunity to share their wisdom and stories of loss and resiliency. How about we talk about grief like we talk about the weather? Let's get started. Thank you for tuning in to Grieving Voices. Today, my guest is Larry Indiviglia. He is a retired Naval Reserve officer. He holds a master's in corporate fitness administration and an MBA from the University of San Diego. Currently, Larry is president of Ind Sites for Life Incorporated, a fitness professional, presenter, and author, as well as a business and life coach for the Todd Durkin Mastermind Program. He also is the author of the book, 126 Days, 11 Minutes, Our Love Story, to honor the life of Gail and their love they had for each other. And that's what he is on to speak about today. Welcome, Larry. Victoria, a pleasure to be here. And thanks for all the uh, great things you're doing uh, with your programming. And uh, I'm really excited to have a great conversation today and uh, provide some value to your many listeners. So really uh, looking forward to connecting here. Thank you. So let's dive in. So yeah, what brings you to Raving Voices? Over a year ago, I met a woman. Her name was Gail. She basically changed my life. And I had a relationship with her and she transitioned four months after I met, met her. I know I'm throwing a lot of things out, But because of her, that's why we're here today. Because of her life, the powerful choices she she made, and the relationship I had with her, it provided inspiration to write about the four-month relationship I had with Gail, to talk about the transition process, and then also to get me through the grieving process. The writing was kind of a catharsis. But mostly to be here today to honor a life that certainly richly deserved honoring and that really has helped me continue to move forward. And I'm still probably in a grieving period in a sense because it it hasn't even been a year yet. Um, And that's really what is the story behind or the reason that I'm on here talking with you today. So tell us about Gail. Gail, um, you know, the, 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 the backstory to 126 days, 11 minutes, our love story, is two actively aging seniors who meet online in their 60s. Yes, in their 60s. Okay, I was 64. Gail was 68. Um, Gail had been married three times before. Gail had been single for over five and a half years. I had been divorced and single for almost nine years. And maybe against all odds, Victoria, and for everyone listening, we were captivated by each other. And I say against all odds because she had stage four breast cancer and had been fighting it for four plus years. However, you know, we both, Gail and I, uh, made the choice to live in the today. 
not in the yesterdays or the tomorrows. And that's how our relationship was, was built. And in so doing, we discovered a lot about each other. Gail was a professional photographer for 33 years. She did nature. She did animals. She did, she did models. She did dance. She was an Argentine tango dancer. She was a ballet dancer. She lived a very rich life, colorful life. She was um, very artistic. She was also very mystic. She happened to be a Virgo, Earth Maiden. And she had a uh, great connection with nature. Uh, sometimes you, you, you will say art imitates life or life imitates art. She would always say nature is life. And she had a very strong connection to nature. But like many, you know, like Gail, Victoria is, she was, she, would, she was diagnosed in October of 2015 with stage four breast cancer. You know, whether it's out of nowhere or whatever it is, but she got the diagnosis and then that changed her life. She had to survive. She had to find out how to battle cancer. And she chose a lot of different ways to do that. She Traditional chemotherapy. She had a single mastectomy. She um, had radiation, a lot of treatments. And then she also went into alternative methods, too to keep her immune system very high. So perhaps the cancer wouldn't spread. And um, so she was very active. She was a very soft, artistic, very intuitive woman. She was also steely strong. She was determined, determined to beat her cancer and continue to live. She felt her earthly existence uh, was something she was not over with yet. Gail had a higher... Uh, not a non-traditional sense of who God was, higher level of consciousness view. So she felt life in the womb, life on earth, and then a higher level of consciousness once she transitioned. But she wasn't quite ready to leave earth yet. And um, there were so many great things about Gail. The biggest thing, she made a very powerful choice to continue to love and live life, even with cancer, and that's really the reason I met her. Sometimes we think about choice and chance and life, Victoria, is something by chance. Was it a chance meeting online? Well, Gail and I both made the choice to go online to find love again. And, and um, fortunately for me, I was able to connect with her. And even with some of her challenges, it didn't matter. I was so captivated by her courage, her truth, her honesty, that there was something more I had to discover about this woman. And, and I did in the 126 days and 11 minutes that I knew her. She sounds like a very fascinating woman. So I gather that she taught you to live in the present and to love unconditionally no matter what. Is that a correct Unconditional love was, was a, um, is a word that comes up when you think about it. And Gail gave it a bigger context for me. So we think of unconditional love, no judgments, um, no expectations, no conditions by which you love somebody. And um, Gail said to me, it was early on in the relationship, Victoria, that um, when I talk about it in the book is, um, you know, Larry, you can't unconditionally love somebody if you don't unconditionally love yourself first. Powerful statement. And I, and I do believe it. You know, through my life's journey, I had done personal work after my divorce. There was a lot of things. I, I spent time doing personal work 
so that I could accept and respect myself as I was, you know, because sometimes a failed marriage, things don't work out in life. You can really kind of beat yourself up about it. So I did some personal work and I did accept myself and I did unconditionally love myself. And I, I do feel that was a big part of the reason I was really able to unconditionally love Gail as well. And one other thing too, in the unconditional love is I was diagnosed with uh, stage one colorectal cancer. Ironically, the same month Gail was diagnosed in 2015. I did not fortunately have to go through what she went through. Not at all. I had one surgery, but the point is I understood what a diagnosis means when you get that diagnosis, whatever stage and somebody tells you you have cancer. Okay. And then you, so I had empathy in, in able to relate to her on that level. But Gail was um, also truth. She always stood in her truth and her convictions. She never compromised those, even all the way to the end, to her transition. Um, she felt if you compromised your truth and what you were about, you're compromising your life. And that was always a bright light that she shed, um, you know, during her lifetime here on earth. Everything she touched, everything she said, and everything she did was about being truthful to herself and to other people. So that, that was um, something truth, honesty, unconditional love w- was part of what she was about and, and what our relationship was about. One thing that sticks out to my mind of what you just shared is, and thank you for sharing, first of all, uh, the one thing that came to my mind was that well, first of all, we can't give to others what we can't give to ourselves, right? Yeah. And also, um, it's so important that we live in integrity with ourselves. Mm. And when we don't live in integrity with ourselves, our beliefs or our convictions or what we need or, you know, our desires in life, I think that, I mean, that's grief. We experience grief as a result. And that trickles into every area of our life, our employment, our relationships with our children or our spouse, other people, how we relate to others, how we show up in the world, really. So it seems to me that, I mean, because I, and I totally get and understand why you two would have been drawn to each other and you to her, because if you had done that personal development work, I think we kind of draw then to us what we need. Mm-hmm. In the right time? Yeah, you do. You know, it's interesting being um, b- being a, a life coach and business coach for fitness professionals for about 13 years now, Victoria, you hit on something very important. Maybe it gets back to choice. I, I had mentioned Gail made a powerful choice to seek love again, even though she had the cancer and a single mastectomy and things in her particular physical um, arena weren't like they used to be. She was an absolutely beautiful woman. Cancer had taken some of that off. I mean, she had been through a lot. But I think when it comes down to integrity is, you know, when you look at each year in my coaching work, we like to theme a year. What's your theme for the new year? Is it happiness or is it uh, discipline? Whatever it happens to be. And my theme, and my and maybe it's in my subconscious when I met Gail, it wasn't conscious. I, I will say this, looking back on it, my um, theme for 2020, and I met Gail in January 2020, so it was a little over a year ago, was 
do something significant. Okay, that can mean a lot of things. That was giving me a wide berth. Okay, do something significant in 2020. If somebody said, Larry, your significant do or action would be to meet somebody who's battling stage four cancer, in this case, a woman, to love her, have a relationship with her, uh, she would transition four months later, and then you would write a book about the experience, I would have said, I don't think so. However, now I have time, I've had some time, Victoria, and it didn't dawn on me till about November of December at the end of 2020, when I look back on my notes for what the year was about, and for all of us with COVID, it was a crazy year. I look back at my theme, and you know what? This was significant, okay? And I didn't do it consciously. You're, to your point, when you put something in and it gets into your subconscious, you attract someone or something that, that will perhaps make that intention come true. The universe brings you together. And, and I believed it. And I, I believe Gail on her side said, I am a woman. I am not waiting. I have been battling this cancer. I am who I am. I can find somebody. I can love again. I am not going to stop trying. I'm doing it. And she attracted somebody. It turned out to be her last stage of life. We did not know that. And I don't think she knew that. I think she felt she was still going to beat it. However, the universe brings you together. And it, it, it comes down to choice and intentional. And again, standing in your integrity, too, I think is all part of that. Can you speak a little bit, to? because when you, you talk about transitioning, and I think especially in our society that's kind of has this death aversion. Uh, We don't think about or talk about death as a transition, especially, well, and more so with terminal illness. But can you speak to that a little bit more? Um, Like what she wanted that to be and what, you know, the intention that she put into that? And Yes, I I, I will. And there's a, a couple of things. And it's a very insightful question, Victoria, because I do think it is important Uh, to your listeners, to all of us. It doesn't have to be cancer. It could be another type of disease or it could be you're you're forced into a transition stage of your life for something that's uncontrollable. But the fact is you're facing it. So what does one do? Gail had more time to think about it. Once her cancer came back, it metastasized to her brain and Advanced breast cancer can do that. It goes to the bones, the lung, and a lot of times the brain. In any case, um, she did not want to die in excruciating pain. I don't think any of us do. Okay. And um, she was looking for a place. Once we had to take her back into the hospital, there was no more she could, they could do for her. There was no more operations. There was no more chemo. There was no more radiation. Okay. So, um, then you have to decide where are you going to transition? Some people will use the word die. I mean, look, uh, Gail used transition. So she had to find a place that was going to work for her. So she had a chemo port where you would put in the chemo drugs in her chest, the open vein. And she wanted to be able to get 
palliatively pain medication, okay, in the port. That's not done everywhere. That's not done in a home setting, by the way. It can be, but a lot of hospice situations at home, they don't inject into that port. They'll give you through the mouth or whatever. And with COVID, there was a lot of potential maybe limitations as to what the care would be in a residential home. Gail felt she would be better, if possible, to be in an inpatient hospice. I talk about it in the book, how that all came about. Okay, And she was adamant that that's what she needed. And fortunately, we were able to get her into a four-bed hospice home here in San Diego, uh, run by Sharp Hospice Homes Foundation, Parkview Hospice, outstanding place. And so she didn't die and transition in physical pain. However, during the time, they gave her two weeks to live after the final diagnosis. Gail lived an additional 44 days in hospice. And she had to find peace before she felt she could transition to a higher level of consciousness. And finding peace, mental peace, emotional peace, you could be physically cared for, and she was. And I remember I asked her one day, maybe it was day 12 or 13 of her stay, and I did visit her every day through, through the COVID. Fortunately, I didn't get sick. Um, and, she, and I said, Gail, you know, how could I help you find peace or provide you peace? And she says, Larry, Larry, you can't. I have to do that on my own. And because of COVID, spiritual counselors couldn't come in, and she didn't want to talk to them on the phone. So she was trying to find her peace through that 44 days before she transitioned finally. And, um, and I, I, I believe that the care she was given, I did what I could do. And I share that in the book. I share every day in the book during that transition period, Victoria, 126 days, 11 minutes, 126 days. There was nine weeks of joy and fun and frolic before her cancer came back. Then there's 63 days where it wasn't good. It was deeper. But during those days, I do share things I did, bringing in music into her room. She had a garden view things that she was still able to touch real life until she couldn't see anymore or talk anymore because of the brain cancer. But it was a process for her. She had tears. She did not want to transition yet. She didn't. But at some point she went through and she found peace. Day 114, and I share it in the book, a very, very close friend of mine told me, Larry, find your own peace about the situation first. So then when you go and visit Gail, you will be peaceful. That will help her find her peace more readily. And that was an interesting comment. And it was a comment by a, a guy, Colonel Hank Donegan, who had been a 30-year Marine. He saw a lot, of, a lot of death over his career. And he said, you have to find your own peace in the midst of adversity and chaos, or in this case, Gail dying. So those were some of the things I could speak to about transitioning. And, um, and I do believe if you're not in gruesome, horrible physical pain, you might be able to process that on deeper levels. Have mm. you seen the Netflix docuseries Surviving Death? No, I have not. 
There is uh, an episode, it's six. It's a six-part series, but there is an episode on end-of-life experiences, mm. and it's based on the research of Dr. Chris Kerr uh, from Buffalo Hospice, and I recently interviewed him on my podcast, and he talked about these end-of-life experiences, and he has a book called Death is But a Dream, which mm. he's coming out with another mm. um, uh, he's coming out with, that's actually going to be out. It's another docu-series, but by that name in April, but I'm, I'm just curious if she ever spoke to you about any end of life experiences, any visions or dreams that she was having of, you know, loved ones that maybe uh, were coming to her. A uh, great question. She did not, uh, her, her elderly mother was able to uh, visit her, although she couldn't visit her too often because of COVID. Her younger brother was able to visit her, not too often because of COVID. Um, you know, there were some restrictions, but they did get a chance to, um, to visit her. She did have a younger brother who died tragically at age 15, and uh, her dad had already passed away. So... But she didn't, to answer your question directly, she didn't, um, she didn't share with me any end of life, like, hey, I could picture this in my life. Now, she did. She did talk to me before hospice about dreams she had who were in the dreams, sometimes former lovers. She was dancing. She had, she had, um, contributing, gave me poems, which I, I share a few of them in the book. So there was this process when she was living, she was experiencing a lot of things. She also had a medical intuitive, Victoria, who she would consult with about her care programs and her overall well-being and things. And um, she was also very uh, into astrology and she had a mystical side to her. So, but in hospice, to answer the question directly here in, in context, she didn't share that she was seeing something. Although she talked to me, hey, this is if I get married again for the fourth time to you, this is what I think it'll look like and where it'll be. She would ask me questions, but she hadn't gone to the other side yet. And she wasn't giving me any um um, coming attractions sounds horrible there, but you know what I'm saying about what she was seeing. Uh, she, she would being an Argentine tango dancer. She often talked about a dream where she would be dancing with somebody, but couldn't see his face. It was a faceless dancer. And would that face would that after her transition, would that person man become a face? I don't know, but she would say that a lot of times. Hmm. Yeah. It, I just, I was, it's my own curiosity since I, yeah, we were talking. Valid question. You know, and she could have been having those dreams in fairness. Let, let's just back up one. Cause I think it's a great question. You know, Gail, I think it was about 12 days. She couldn't talk because the cancer, the brain, after a while you lose your ability to speak. And then her sight went. So if she did, if she was dreaming, let's say those last 10 days, she couldn't tell me. She couldn't tell me. So perhaps, and I don't know, I'll have, I'll have to read uh, this book here and also educate myself a little bit if that's what happens sometimes with people. 
is mm-hmm. if she had that, she couldn't share it, couldn't talk. Yeah, but actually, to your point, when you said about dreams prior, um, mm-hmm. people can have dreams up to six months before. There you go. And visions and things. So, you know, everybody's different. But it's it's like the way you described her, and you said the word metaphysical, and that's really what came to my mind when you were first yeah. describing her, is someone like that who would probably be very open to the messages that would be coming to her yes. as she's as her body is slowly starting to depart, you know? So yeah, it's just, she, um, she had her look in, in, uh, in the process at some point, maybe after about a week, she was crying a lot because, you know, I think the reality was she knew where she was, you know, this was her last stop here on earth. And that's an, that's an overwhelm, you know, you have overwhelming feelings at times. And, um, and, you know, so she did shed tears in that process, some days more than others. I speak about them in the book in context. I, um, um, I, I felt what I shared in the book each day has a theme. The highlight or the, 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 uh, the meaning of that day, which was most meaningful, that was most uh, appropriate in context of what Gail was going through. So, yeah. Can you share a little bit too about the experience because it was during 2020 and was during COVID. Uh, Did that, what impact did that have on, I mean, you kind of spoke to it a little bit about her care and things, but I mean, were you able to have a celebration of life and, I had to wait on that. Yeah. You know, it's interesting. January, I remember the weekend specifically, and I shared in the book, we we went to a resort here in San Diego. And when we were having breakfast, this was, I think, like March 1st, the very end of February. I met Gail in January. So this was the end of February. I'd known her about eight weeks. And we noticed a couple, two different couples walking on the street with masks on. And Gail looked at me, she goes, what is, this about? what is this about? I said, oh, that virus, haven't you heard this COVID virus? And supposedly it spread, you know, through, through um, coughing and sneezing and things. And I said, a mask could help prevent that. She goes, boy, where have I been? I just, I, I haven't really dialed into that, Larry. But I, I remember that, that was March 1st. Of course, two and a half weeks later or so, two weeks later, we shut down. That's when the whole country shut down. So January and February, we lived as normal as we possibly could, you know, going out, doing things and, and, and et cetera. And then um, when Gail got sick again and the cancer started coming back, it took about 10 days before we realized the whole process and uh, got her back into the hospital. Then COVID was very restrictive because of visitation, what you had to do to get in there. And that was in the regular hospital and then also in hospice. I was, I was actually lucky because if she was in a nursing home or something, whatever, a larger facility, they were shut down. They weren't letting anybody in. So I had to go through, take my temperature, disinfectant, the whole thing. And, you know, and the interesting thing about it, the spiritual counselors were not able to be on site. It was only a four bed hospice. When Gail was there, her adjoining roommates, if I can say roommates or fellow 
people who were transitioning, her six-week stay or 44-day stay, there was probably about 30 people who transitioned because, you know, everybody was in different stage of at the end. And um, But COVID, I had to just go to her room. I couldn't go to the common area. I couldn't talk to any other family members. Um, so it was like you had to be present in the room. So COVID, and I'm not saying if COVID wasn't there, I would have been out in the living room, not in Gail's room, trying to connect with her. But when I was there, Victoria, I was there. I had to be in her room other than using the restroom. That was it. That's the only place you can be. So COVID, um, there was limits on, on visitation. There was limits on calling people coming down and, you know, Gail started, she couldn't hear. So there was a lot of things in that room where it was just myself and Gail and uh, COVID, her family members, I mentioned earlier, couldn't visit her as much because of some of the restrictions and her mother was very, was older. And, and, you know, so it got to the point where COVID actually helped me be present with Gail and maybe to notice things and do things and I submit perhaps I wouldn't have done because I had to be there. I had to be present with her. And then, okay, she's transitioning. So what are the important things to do? So anyway, in the COVID picture, I think that also was the reason Gail chose to try to get into that inpatient hospice because she didn't want to die at my place and she didn't want to die at her mother's home. And that was the reason that I don't want to say we ended up, but that we chose and were able to get accepted to that hospice home. So COVID really had, um, you know, those types of of impacts, pro and con, I I should say. So you have yet to have the celebration of life? Like you haven't been able to do that? Celebrate. Thank you. Celebration of life happened in uh, November. Okay. So she wanted a very small one. Uh, she gave me a list of only about a dozen people, and I honored that. And her, she was cremated, and her ashes were spread on a nature trail here in San Diego. And uh, one of her professional colleagues who um, she knew through her photography business for many years, um, she wanted part of her ashes spread on a beach in Malibu, Malibu, where she did so many photo shoots. So he did that. I, I gave him some of the ashes. So he did that. And then we, we had a celebration of life and everybody got a vial of ashes. And um, here in San Diego, one of her favorite spots. So that was her wishes. We did it in November, November 1st. Uh, actually, we did it on Dio de las Muertes, as it turns out, is that spiritual day of uh, that the uh, Mexican culture uh, celebrates the people who've passed and already died, the, the souls who have risen, so to speak. So we did do that. And um, it, I waited a little bit longer because of COVID reasons and um, to get that, to get that, that um, kind of completed. That was something that had to be done. So I honored her wishes. Well, and what a blessing that you became in her life because, you know, had you not, taking and made that choice, right? To go online dating. And had you not met her, you know, her mother wouldn't have been able to help her and be there for her in a way that she probably would have wanted to. And 
the way Gail would have wanted her to be because of her older age and COVID and, you know, so. Yeah. Victoria, you, you make a nice point here. Um, There's nothing heroic I did. What I, what I did was I had some empathy and I, I learned more from Gail about life and love than I think that she learned from me, but her life made a difference and all of us want to be able to transition. I don't know if I want to say on my own terms, but with some dignity and with some control. And I, I felt I was able to help her do that. Okay. And, and she was able to go on at least the terms that she had control over. And, you know, she had told me stories when I sat down with her. I had a great conversation on the phone with her. She was very honest. She said, Larry, here's the deal. I have stage four cancer. I have a single mastectomy. If any of this stuff is going to freak you out, I'm just telling you now. And I was so cap- I, I was so captivated by her honesty. I definitely wanted to meet her. So we met the next night. You know, when I met her, she had told me. She said, you know, Larry, a couple of dates I've been on, you know, some guys have gotten up and said, you know, this isn't for me. And, you know, put $50 on the table and I'll see you. And that's probably the extreme. But um, I, society now, easier to get up and leave. Well, there's not anything in this for me. I wasn't looking for this in this dating relationship. However, it's riskier not to risk because the life experiences that you miss out on can be profound. And I did not miss this one, Victoria, because it, it's like, what's life about? Experiences that we have and want to have. Some are controllable, some are not. Those experiences encourage us and sometimes make us grow. And because of that growth, we can then contribute more to others. So I look at my relationship with Gail. It was a loving, profound experience, mentally, physically, emotionally, and spiritually. It forced me to grow as a man in a lot of ways. And then now, and it's not just because of a book, but because of the experience and the growth I had, I was able to write something and realize that there were profound lessons here from this beautiful woman. And I believe so profound that I would like to share those with others. So that for the Gales and Larrys out there, Victoria, afraid to love because of somebody's struggling. It doesn't have to be cancer. It doesn't have to be life and death. You may want to take that chance because you could experience much, a, a, a profound love experience that you would never have before. I had somebody reach out to me. She was dating for three months. She came down with stage four lymphoma. Her boyfriend at the time visited her in the hospital. And she said, you're off the hook. You don't have to go through me with this. Don't, you know, we've only known each other three months. Well, he doubled down. He asked her to marry her while she was in the hospital. And they're still married today. So some of these things in life, if you go against the conventional societal norms, you may find something real special that you never would have experienced before. 
I just got chill bumps because I absolutely agree. One single yes can change the trajectory of our entire lives. Right? Yeah. You know, Victoria, I, I don't normally get too emotional on these things, but you know, Gail's life made a difference. And I saw the courage when I sat down with her at that dinner and, you know, she had kind of like puffy eyes from some chemo and, but she didn't try to hide anything. You know, it was who she was. And, um, and, you know, I, you know, of course, you know, sometimes the male ego takes over. I sat down there at that dinner and I shared in the book. And I remember she looked at me, she goes, Oh God, you're so much more handsome than the pictures online. (laughs) You know, it was funny, but it was sincere. You know, I think it was, but, um, but it was, I was very, very, there was just, I was captivated. That's the best word and really wanted to discover more about her. And, um, and you know, the reason we're sitting here today talking about her is, is because um, the courage she showed. And, and like I said, I think there's a lot of gals out there that have to have second thoughts about putting themselves out there again, as difficult as it can be. Uh, it's never too late to fall in love. And, um, you know, I, I, I believe that. There's somebody out there for for all of us, right? That's what I think. I have the belief too that really challenging times brings out the compassion within ourselves, but also helps us kind of disarm that this false basically we don't have to lie. Mm-hmm. Like you don't have to no one likes to be lied to, first of all, but to just be honest and tell the truth about how you're feeling. I think that that becomes easier when you're faced with something like Gail did or, you know, like the terminal, because she had had it and then it came back. Correct. Like she thought it was gone. Yeah, and it, it was, back. It, it, they had it at bay. They had her cancer at bay. You know, she had been through the, the real rough part of it where she had to get the mastectomy. Then it moved to her lungs. Chemo was able to get most of it out but then it moved to her neck and then she had to have neck surgery. And then after neck surgery, she had a good time without it, but then it moved her, her brain initially. So she had radiation for the brain and that went into remission. So she, you know, she was always trying to keep ahead of the game as it moved within her body. But at some point they were able to arrest it. And also to her credit, she was on a very strict, nutrition plan, a totally clean, a very strong supplementation plan, exercise, plenty of sleep, pH water. I mean, she did everything and researched so many things. And she felt if she can get an holistic healer to work in conjunction a little bit closer with a traditional Western medical physician, that she felt she could beat it, but it was just so hard to find. There's a lot of dead ends because of insurance and, and, and things. But um, yeah, yeah, absolutely. So you spoke a lot about and shared different ways that, you know, what Gail taught you and what that experience taught you. But also, too, that wasn't your first grief experience. You mentioned divorce. And had you had any grieving experiences prior to that? Um, I, I did. And, um, you know, maybe one loss or the previous losses prepare you in life for the next. Now, I don't want to be maudlin here or pessimistic, 
or fatalistic where, hey, uh, something traumatic happens and that means there's going to be a series of them throughout your life. If, if any of us haven't experienced any loss through trauma, accident, death, cancer, whatever it is, awesome. Okay. So, uh, many of us have though. Okay. And I think most of us have on some level and specifically with cancer too. You know, at a very young age, very young, um, I was driving a car. I was 21 years old. In fact, it was the day after I graduated the Naval Academy. I was taking my older sister, who was 28 at the time. I was 21. And my aunt, my father's sister, to the airport. We didn't make it. They died. I didn't. Okay. So at 21 years old, that's, that's a big loss. <laughs> okay. And uh, that one, you know, I had to do some personal work, Rolfing. Uh, there's some things I had to, to process through the years about that and, and get through that so that you can move forward in your life, especially at 21. I was so young. Uh, but I did get through it. And that was 44 years ago. Okay. And um, uh, my faith, I happen to be Christian. I have faith that, okay, that was part of life's plan and that's it. And you just, have to be able to move forward. So I found that that loss um, was a big one. Uh, and sadly, years later, not to put a list of losses here, my brother took his own life when he was 53 years old. And that was a big loss. That was, that was, uh, that was a heavy burden when, when Joe uh, took his own life. And each loss I find will give you the opportunity to respond and perhaps do something you would not have done. And you might not even think about it. Um, it might give you the courage to move forward, do things in a different way, go to graduate school, get married, um, do some traveling, do some philanthropy, whatever the case be. It, it, um, in my journey, it has provided me the inspiration because of the loss of the circumstances around it to do something I would not have done. Would I have written 126 days, 11 minutes as a fictional story? Um, probably not, Victoria. Probably not. Although somebody may read it and it's got elements of a novel in it, but everything in it is true. So to your point, losses in life do make you stronger, do give you an experience with the grief experience, and all of them are different. And I find that on my journey, responding and doing something that you perhaps would not have done can be a result. And I, I will say a positive result. Is it to honor a death situation? can be, or it could be giving back to a community that maybe you became aware of because you came down with a disease or whatever it happens to be uh, that you now want to give back to. But that's some of my thoughts on that. Did the loss of Gail bring up any unresolved feelings of grief that you may needed to address? It was different. I, I don't know if it brought up um, any past wounds, so to speak, 
I will say this, the losses you have, and then I hadn't lost a soulmate or a lover, et cetera, before. So it was a different kind of loss. Then maybe the human, the human nature in us, at least for me, it's like, oh boy, you know, it, it's not like death follows me. That's not it. But it, you do go to, to the place and you say, well, she was such a marvelous woman. I would have really liked to spend more time with her. And now I don't have that opportunity anymore. So that sadness is there. It, it almost becomes, and in talking about it now, uh, it almost becomes a little surreal sometimes. Um, Victoria, when I look back on it and say, did this really happen? You know, but um, it hasn't really brought back to a great extent at all any any past losses to any type of uh, that's causing any any pain or anything like that. I want to be curious because did anyone say anything to you that was hurtful regarding, you know, it was a, you know, four months relationship, four month yeah. relationship. And, yeah. you know, cause people can be insensitive and say things that, well, it was only four months, imagine 40 years or, you know, things like that. Cause that yes. does happen. Yes. Did anyone say anything to you? Just And I ask this because I think it's important that people understand how these things impact people and like how words can cut like a knife. Oh, yeah. And so I'm curious if anyone said anything like that was hurtful or harmful in that way. No, uh, I did have a question. Would you have done it over again um, if you knew how it ended? I said, well, that's really an unfair question because you know, we lived into today. I, I didn't know how it was going to end, you know, did, did I think I was going to outlive Gail? Probably. Okay. But every case is different. We don't know. You know, I, I mean, odds, odds would say Gail was not going to live to 80 or 85, but you know, one never knows. And I didn't look at it that way. Nobody has ever said, you know, why did you write this book or, um, you know, you only knew her for four months and, you know, cause sometimes there's so many beautiful stories out there, Victoria, and I know you see them of people's uh, life journeys. And now that they're grieving loss of a child, loss of a husband, whatever it happens to be, you know, certainly I am not the only one. And, you know, the, the, the people typically who have left and transitioned those are the people that are the inspiration, not necessarily me. There's nothing heroic about this. Uh, was it significant? Yeah, as I shared earlier, I think it was significant. But, um, but I haven't. I've been lucky. I've had the people who reached out to me during the time I was going through this were supportive. And people afterwards that, um, especially after I was working on the book and released the book, we're very supportive for them for the most part. And I hadn't experienced any, uh, I had one comment, I think it might've been in, in, uh, once the book came out, you know, I've lost three immediate family members and why should I read your book or, you know, words to that effect, but that person's grieving, you know, it's like, I, I get it, you know, and, and, uh, it's not, it's certainly not a comparison game here. And boy, hopefully, 
but I could see some people who are maybe in depths of breathing. You would probably know better than I. Um, you know, could react way. You know. Yeah, and that's one of the things we talk about in grief recovery is that there's no hierarchy, hierarchy of loss. I want to kind of circle back to that question: Would you do it over again? Because it's really kind of a sad, sad thing to ask if you really think about it. Like, what is this? You know, you got to think about what that person's feeling like inside to ask that, because it's like you could ask that about anything. Like, mm-hmm. you don't know how long you're going to be married to somebody. It's like I don't even know the statistic currently, but you know, for a long time it was fifty percent of marriages and divorce. Well, would you do it over again? I mean, how many people, Yeah, you know, it's like, would you have children if you knew one of them was going to die? Well, of course you would still have that. Ch- you know what I mean? So I think of yeah, that I question, do. I, do. I think it's a very sad question to ask somebody. Um, I'm sad for that person who asked you that, put it that way. Just to circle back yeah. to what you shared about the opportunities that we miss out on. That, that's what I, that's what I think back to. Um, I, by that person asking that question. It's like, I, I think connections in life, they're not, none are random. I don't believe, and they're just random. They're all for a purpose. Some last longer, some last a very long time. Others don't last as long. And, uh, but they're all for a reason. They're all for a purpose. And um, I, I think certainly we all want to live to, live a vibrant long life you know with a high quality of life that doesn't always happen as we know we don't live in a perfect world and uh certainly all of us are imperfect and um sometimes we're dealt hands that we never expected we would be dealt but um the period of time that i spent with gail was the time that it was supposed to be and um uh i i firmly you know, believe that, uh, what, like I said earlier, what I had hoped it would be longer than that, certainly, yeah. Um, but it was there for a reason. And, uh, and I think, yeah, we came into each other's lives for a very powerful reason at the stage I was in and the stage she was in, yeah. So throughout your the experience and even the grief that came before it, um, what has given you the most joy and what gives you the most joy and hope for the future. Wow. Uh, life is beautiful. And uh, each day that we have is, is certainly a gift. And you, and you hear that in many circles, but it is. And to be able to have a continued choice on how we decide to live our life, that's what's really great. Because we could make that choice to meet to meet somebody again online. We can make that choice to do philanthropic work. We can make a choice to shift careers. We can make a choice to um, to retire and not do anything if we chose to do that. Um, the ability to choose is what I think really um, is really awesome in life. And the other thing is, is um, a very powerful lyric. It's on the dedication page to the book. Gail used to sing to me from the song Nature Boy, which was sung uh, 
by Nat King Cole. I think it was in the 50s, maybe early 60s. He didn't write it, but Nat King Cole sung it. And the one lyric from Nature Boy was, the greatest thing you'll ever learn is just to love and be loved in return. And when you think about that, a very simple lyric, but really powerful. And all of us have the ability to love, but we also have the ability to receive. And you know, you have to have both, Victoria, right? And we have the ability to do both. We have the ability to give and we have the ability to receive. And to those of us, I would say a lot of your listeners, I don't know them, are giving people. You're a giving person. Um, it's easy to give, give all the time. That's super important. But we must pause and receive back because people want to give to us. So the ability in moving forward and in the future, what I'm hopeful and joyful about, is that very lyric right there that's the essence of life. Because I do, lead, I do believe it leads to fulfillment and it does make life a lot more joyful when you experience both giving and receiving love. I, and I did that with Gail. I love that. We do have two hands, right? One to mm-hmm. give and one to receive. Mm-hmm. We, we absolutely do. I have to, do. I have to read this to you because I just, I wrote this down prior to us recording. Oh, sure. <laughs> and it's just coincidental. So I'm going to share it. Speak, think and act from a place of love. This mm. is a rule of life. There's nothing you need to fear. I actually, I wrote, it was speak, think, and act from a place of love. And then I added a rule. That's a rule for life. There's nothing you need to fear. Love could come in different forms mm-hmm. and at different, at different junctures of your life when you expect it or least expect it. However, I'll go back to choice. Uh, one of the lines I share on the very last, last page of the book, actually, you know, each book I mentioned is um, uh, titled All 126 Days and the Last Day is titled 11 Minutes. There's a reason for that. But in the lines to that last page, uh, Gail says, is life, um, is life by choice or by chance? When you think about it, the choices we do make, maybe they're related. The choices you do make give you a chance to experience something you would never have. Um, I think Gail and I both did that. We both made choices to love again. We both made choices to stay together. And that gave us a chance to experience something neither of us would have had alone. Yeah, that, that choice and that chance, uh, when you think about life, is, uh, is an interesting relationship. And I think that's a perfect place to tie this up. Anything else you would like to share? Um, if I could, you know, just tell people where to get the book. Sure. 126 Days and 11 Minutes, Our Love Story, is available on Amazon Books in Kindle or paperback form. It's a fast read. It's gotten a lot of very nice five-star reviews. I'm very humbled by them all. So the audiobook will be available on Amazon's Audible channel. And if people want to connect with you, where can they find you? Yeah, email me directly. I'll answer all of them at lindaviglia 
at gmail.com. So that's L-I-N-D-I-V-I-G-L-I-A at gmail.com. You could find me on LinkedIn at Larry Indiviglia, and you could find me on Facebook at Larry Indiviglia as well. And I'll put that information in the show notes. Thank you, Victoria. Thank you so much for being here and for sharing your story and wisdom from your beloved Gail and everything that you had to share. Thank you, Victoria. I really enjoyed it. And um, I hope your listeners um, received something of value this morning. I think they did. I think so too. And remember, when you unleash your heart, you unleash your life. Much love. From my heart to yours, thank you for listening. If you like this episode, please share it because sharing is caring. And until next time, give and share compassion by being a heart with ears. And if you're hurting, know that what you're feeling is normal and natural. Much love, my friend.